0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Ravena podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist simply seeing more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. Friends, uh, in just a moment, we we have a preacher coming who's a part of our staff team. But I'm about to head out. If you see me duck out of the service, you're like, oh, where's he going? It's not because of this next preacher. I'm going to go speak at our Pathways Ministry, which is operating right now. And I can do that because we have a fantastic preacher who runs our online ministry. And his name is Ori Zach. It's first time preaching here on a Sunday morning. Would you welcome Pastor Ori Zaka as he comes and hangs out with us. Thank you so much, Mike. Good morning everyone, it's so great to be with you. Uh, My name is Ori, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, and I just wanna say a massive welcome to all of my friends online. They've let me out of the studio again today. This is becoming a habit, this is becoming a pattern. I don't know what's happening. But something good's going to happen, Amen. Hey, before we get started, uh, I just want to mention that we will be uh, delving into the story of Zacchaeus this morning as we uh, continue in our dinner with Jesus um, series. Now, if you just want to take your idols out of, I mean, your phone out of your pocket, if you want to follow along and use your Bible app, or if, uh, like me, you reacquainted yourself with a paper Bible. You can do that as well. Uh, But that's where we're going to be journeying together today. Uh, But before uh, we step into that, I just want to take a moment to pray. Uh, And that's really important. It's a privilege and a joy any time that I get to preach and to share. And I just pray um, and I just take a moment to pray because it's important to uh, understand what it is that we're doing. We're opening the word of God and we're hearing from God. Uh, And I have the privilege to be a vessel of that today. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to get stuck in. So join me in prayer. Father God. We thank you so much that you are a good and a loving and a wonderful and a perfect and a holy and a just God. We thank you so much that you would love us so much that you would send your son Jesus. And that in Jesus we have not only an example, but we have a Lord and a Saviour who wants to call us friend, who wants to invite us in to dine and give us a seat at his table. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open your scriptures this morning, you'll prepare our hearts to receive what it is you have to say. I pray that there would be less of me and there would be more of you. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would uh, speak in me and through me uh, as we engage with what it is you have to say today. And all who agree, will pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Well, a couple of years ago, my wonderful wife, Beck and I, uh, we came to a really significant moment in our marriage. We came came to a big decision and that big decision was this. We were going to uh, invest in a solid timber dining table. The time had come, we'd been through those early years where you take any hand-me-down you can get, you get the torn couch from the relative, you uh, have to guard your heart against pride as you bargain someone down from $60 to $40 on Facebook Marketplace, we're done with all that, we've been through the whole season of flat pack furniture, just with like one piece of wood and four legs and 16 screws, but somehow it takes four hours and you strip half of those screws. Someone's got to put their hand up and say that's that's their experience. We've been through all of that and it was time. We love having people around the table. We love gathering and having that connection and that conversation that occurs when we're on the... uh ...gathering around the table and so we uh, thought, you know what, this is really going to level up. This is really going to step us up into, the, in, into a phase where the table really is symbolic... ...and celebrates how much we love the opportunity to get to do that. And so we went to the boutique store and I'm sure Beck had scoped this out for months... ...and just introduced it as a new idea to me. But I went along with it because this was a thing of beauty. It looked so amazing. And the best part was that after we bought it, two delivery guys were going to come... ...bring it to our place, take it up our stairs and pop it straight, fully assembled, into the spot that we were going to enjoy using it. No assembly required. Sold. I was there. So we it up, we paid the cash, and there we were with this beautiful dining table. And you betcha, all the tablecloths came out, all the table runners came out. No one was getting within six feet of this table with a hot drink without a coaster, because we were not having any heat rings in its surface. And it was a wonderful thing to enjoy. And one thing didn't factor into any of uh, that whole process. One thing didn't uh, cross our minds, come into our decision matrix as we invested heavily in this wonderful piece of furniture. And that one thing was Juniper. (laughs) Yeah, she looks really cute. Proceed with caution. Juniper's 18 months old and she thinks she's turning 18 years old and her elder sister is about to turn 13 and so she looks up at her older siblings and thinks, I need to do everything they're doing, I get to do it, why can't I do that? And so one night recently at the dinner table, uh, she was kind of really demandingly kind of saying, well, you know, I want a spoon, I want a metal spoon, why do they get a metal spoon and I don't? It was kind of like in toddler gibberish but we knew what she meant and so like we've been parenting for a long time now and you would think that we've kind of amassed some experience and some knowledge and so we would know that this was a terrible idea but we did it we gave her a metal spoon and what she did next is drop her chin looked up at her mother with her eyes and then bash the table oh my gosh and then she did it Two more times. And then we were right, that's it. No, 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 give us that back. Whose silly idea was that to give you a metal utensil? It's, it's the plastic baby spoon for you again. And there was plenty of tears. She was very upset. She was devastated. And there were so many tears flowing, including the one rolling down my eye at the marks and the dents that <laughs> appeared in this amazingly beautiful timber, uh, solid timber dining table. But as I was reflecting on that story, it kind of struck me that actually what was more important than the marks that she had made on the table were the memories that we were developing as we sat around the table. And tables kind of, they need people around them to fulfil their full potential. And most of us have tables, we dine at tables. We know that many key moments in our lives happen around a table, We celebrate things. We are sad about things. We talk about tragedies and we celebrate triumphs. So much of life, important moments of life, significant moments of life happen around a table. And now for some of you, you'll be sitting here today and you really love offering hospitality. You love inviting people over. You love getting around the table. You love sharing a meal and you love whoever you get to do that with. And for others of us, we actually really struggle with that idea. We struggle inviting people over, we struggle inviting people to a table. Some of us don't even want to sit at a table with anyone. Just leave me alone, I like my own time. Maybe some of us have got a bit of anxiety about that or we feel like we're too busy and we're in such a rush and there's so much going on in life and we just don't know when we would ever get the time to have someone at our table. But friends, what I think God wants to show us through this story of Zacchaeus and his encounter with Jesus is that what happens at the table is actually really important. And tables serve not only to um, give us the opportunity to look at how they make a difference and how we use our tables, but also that God would have us use our tables to introduce others to the uh, reality of God in this world to remind us of the reality of God in this world and to to give us a sense of being on mission and revealing God to people. Who we invite to our tables is key in all of this. And so the bottom line of this message, the thing that I want you to remember from this point forward, rattling around in your head, the thing that you take away from this that you don't forget, is this. It comes in the form of a question. Who is missing at your table? Who is missing at your table? My friends online, who is missing at your table? You've got a head start on all of us. You're already sitting at one because you're at home or you're in your care environment or you are with friends or you're at a cafe or a caravan park. I'm guessing there's a bunch of environments you're in. Who's missing at your table? And so we'll turn now to the Scriptures. We'll open to Luke chapter 19 and we'll meet this man Zacchaeus who has this incredible encounter with Jesus at a table. We pick it up from verse 1. So he, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So let's just pause there for a moment. There's three things that we need to know about Zacchaeus, that we need to observe about who he is, that really inform and give a bit of a background to what is about to transpire in this passage. And those three things are highlighted up on the screen behind you. They are that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus is rich, and Zacchaeus is short. Now, don't worry. If you're here today, if you're online with us and you are short... God still loves you. It doesn't matter whether you're short or tall. God loves you. We'll get to that in a moment, why that's important to us. But firstly, he was a tax collector. And you have to understand that in ancient uh, first century Jewish times, a tax collector was basically seen as a traitor. They were there collecting tax, collecting tolls, collecting tariffs on behalf of the Roman Empire. So So the Jewish people saw them as a sellout. Zacchaeus' community saw him as a sellout. He was selling his people out in order to not only make the Roman Empire rich, but to profit for himself. He was a chief tax collector too. Now, I couldn't find any commentary on this, but I'm pretty sure that he was clipping all the tickets of all of his team members as well. How could he not? The temptation would have been too much for him. So, this, all of this was making him rich. And I'm sure that you could relate with the moment where you see someone who is rich, but they don't have the character to match, how that can be just a little bit grating. And so there's that about Zacchaeus. But as well as that, it's where he was doing this. We read that he was placed in Jericho. And Jericho is significant to us, not just because it was the city that Joshua and the Israelites marched around seven times and the walls fell down as God gave them the city in Old Testament time. It's also significant because it was a a centre of trade and commerce. It was a place where all of the trade routes out of Jerusalem would cross through. So think about this for a moment. If you're a tax collector and you're looking to make bank on everyone else's uh, money, what better spot to situate yourself than in a place where all of the trade, all of the commerce comes through. You really are going to do very well for yourself. And to top it off... He was short. I think the ESV says it nicely there. He was small in stature. He was short. That's all there is to it. This is important, not from a physical perspective, but symbolically. Because back in that time, your shortness was representative of your social status. And if you were short, you're on the out. So essentially, we're meeting a man named Zacchaeus who is on the absolute bleeding edge of the margin of uh, the people group, of the society that he's a part of. He is on the out he's the the out crowd he's not in the in crowd and so and we'll read in a moment Zacchaeus uh, he looks kind of curious about who this Jesus person is and maybe he just wanted to see what all the fuss was about or maybe he was at a point where maybe he was at the end of himself He'd done all he can, he was sick of the way life was in that moment, and there was a hunger and there was an openness that he was prepared to do something a little bit undignified in order to encounter Jesus. And so we read from verse 4, we read this. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully. Now, I'm not a tax collector, never was, never out there ripping people off for their money, but my heart, certainly in a season gone past, was oriented very similarly to the way that Zacchaeus's heart once was oriented. See, I came to faith when I was 20 years old. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't have a Christian family. That's just simply not part of my story. I grew up playing sport, uh, but as I headed into my teenage years, uh, sport kind of went to the side and I started to get distracted. Distracted by all the things that you can get distracted about as a, a teenage boy. And I started to let the sport go and I started to step into this space of seeking to be known, seeking to be someone, seeking to be um, part of the in crowd. And so I became acquainted with the party lifestyle. Let me tell you this. If if this was my schoolies this year that our team's about to embark and volunteer on, I in no way, shape or form would be someone who was handing out the red frogs. Let me just put it that way. And it kind of got to the point where I had a birthday barbecue at home, I had my family, I had some friends around and I made an absolute fool of myself, I embarrassed myself and I was was coming out of that moment, I just remember looking at the sky and just saying, hey God, if you're real, would you give me some friends that you would want me to have? I'd call it a prayer now, I didn't know if it was a prayer then but something strange happened, that within a week or so I started to meet a couple of people And they were so warm and lovely and inviting, they quickly became friends. And they invited me to have like late night coffees out at cafes in Broadbeach. And if you're 20 years old, you're going to drink coffee at 11 o'clock at night because it's no factor. You're staying up all night anyway. That's just what you get to do when you're 20 years old. Life doesn't look like that for me now, can you tell? And they welcomed me in. They gave me a seat at their table. And there was parties that they would invite me to, but there was much less cocktails and there was much more conversation. And conversation that was deep and meaningful. And then <clears throat> at some point, oh, that was the other thing, I need to tell you this. Just down the road at Rabina Common, they'd also play Saturday afternoon frisbee, ultimate frisbee, if anyone's ever heard of this. It's kind of like a cross between gridiron and netball, if you can imagine that. And it was so much fun. And I loved going down there. And there was heaps of friendly people. There was a whole group. There would have been 30 or 40 who would do that on a regular basis. And so you can imagine how shocked I was in the moment where I found out that all of these people I was hanging out with were a part of this youth and young adults group at this church. Shocking. Couldn't believe it. Think back to that moment where I was like, hey, God, can you give me some friends you want? so what else was I supposed to do but go and check out this church that they were a part of at the time? And so I did, and I went to a service. I went to a second service. And then on the third service, I remember pulling up and parking my car. And see, what would happen at these services is at the end of every service or at the message, the pastor would give people the opportunity to receive Jesus joyfully, to put their hand up, to come down the front and to be prayed with and for, to surrender their lives to, to, trust. Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And so I knew on the third service that this was going to happen. And so I parked my car and I head in. And I can't tell you any of the songs that we sung. I couldn't even tell you the message that was preached. I'm sure it was fantastic. But what I can distinctly remember is charging down the front, halfway through the invitation to surrender my life to Jesus and receive him joyfully and make the best decision that I have ever made in my whole life. What brought this about? What helped facilitate this? Well, it was simply this, that I was offered a seat at their table. I was welcomed. I was loved. I was accepted. There was space made for me. It didn't matter how rough I was. It didn't matter the language I used. I didn't feel judged. I was welcomed. Michael Frost, an Australian missiologist and theologian, he highlights through this quote something of my experience in that time. He says this, The table ought to be the primary symbol of the Christian gathering. It represents hospitality, inclusivity, generosity and grace. The table is the great equaliser in relationships. When we eat together and discover the inherent humanity of all people, we share stories and hopes and fears and disappointments. People open up to each other and we ourselves can open up and share the same things, including our faith in Jesus And so my question is this, is there someone like me who's missing from your table? Is there someone like me missing from your table? I invite you to to think for a moment on who that might be. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. What's interesting about that whole story and experience is that Sometimes as Christ followers, even um, if if that is you, if you're a Christ follower, we've we've made that decision. We've made that choice. Jesus has changed our life and we can still find that we stumble and trip. And this story, this narrative gives us an opportunity to see that in the form of the crowd. And so in the very next verse, we read, and this is in verse 7, And when they saw it, and that's the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Oh, gosh how could he? Jesus sure had a knack for doing things that made people grumble, but it always had a purpose and a point. And I think God's point in this part of the story for us to receive, and I wrestled about saying this because, oh God, do I have to? But I think I do. The crowd wasn't just in Zacchaeus' way in a physical sense. It wasn't just because he was short. He had to climb up a tree to see Jesus because the crowd was getting in the way. And sometimes the fact of the matter is that you and I who follow Jesus can get in the way of of someone trying to experience and encounter Jesus. And that comes in the form in this message of putting that distance there, keeping people away from our table, When God wants to use our table to bring them in to his kingdom and his life. Just as the crowd grumbled, we can grumble in our hearts too. And this really, it struck me in a moment recently uh, where I experienced this for myself. I'm a part of a small group and there's three other dads and I, we're in a small group together. We meet every second Thursday at 5.30 in the morning because that's about the only space we've got to do it. We go to a place that serves coffee because we're dads and it's early in the morning and we need coffee. I don't know how else this is going to happen. And this one particular morning, we had this gentleman come up to us and he looked a little bit worse for wear. He still had hospital bands on. And he just said, hey, you guys look like a really great group of guys. Can I sit at the table and hang out with you? I'd just love to chat and get to know you. And the other three three men that were with me, I don't know what they were thinking, but it's definitely not uh, what started to race through my heart. And it was this, I started to react in such a way it started to, to sit there and go, oh, gee, man, I was really excited about what we were doing today. I was really excited about delving into this chapter that we finished reading. We're going to pray together. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to hear what's happening in your life, what God's doing in your life. And I had to arrest myself in that moment and go, hold on, what are you saying to yourself? or What's going on in your heart? I was fighting with the idea of inviting this gentleman to sit at our table. And so I said, of course, yes, grab a seat. And what happened was he shared with us some of his story and he had the opportunity to be seen and to be known and to be heard and to be loved. He got a glimpse of what it is to experience the love of God. I'm just thankful that God helped me arrest my heart in that moment and that I didn't keep him from experiencing that. Priest and Professor Henry Newman highlights this in this quote, he says, "'Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space, "'where the stranger can enter and become a friend "'instead of an enemy. "'Hospitality is not to change people, "'but to offer them the space where, they can, no, where change can take place. "'It is not to bring men and women over to our side, "'but to offer freedom, not disturbed by d- dividing lines.'" Not disturbed by social status. Not disturbed by different preferences. Not disturbed by disagreeing on things. Not disturbed by um, <clears throat> how well or not you are. Not disturbed by any of that. Because really God gives every single one of you and I a seat at his table. And so who are any of us? Who am I? Even if for a moment to, to resist that or hold that from someone. We see what happens next in the passage as a form of what happens when we give people the opportunity to have a seat at the table. In verse 8, we pick up the story. And it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Half my goods, I give it away. I restore uh, anything I've cheated of anyone fourfold. Who is this guy? Is this a Zacchaeus we met moments ago? Something's happened to Zacchaeus. Something has taken place. Now, our world and our culture will teach us that we can make ourselves better, that we can look within, that we can continually improve, that we can slowly make improvement. forward. Now, but Zacchaeus didn't start giving away a dollar and then two and then ten and then a hundred. No. He just gets in that moment. He's like, anyone I've cheated fourfold. I give half of all of my possessions, all of my wealth. What has happened? Something has had to come from the outside in And transform him. Something has had to take his old heart away and give him a new heart. And that something is a someone, and that someone's name is Jesus. And where this happened for Zacchaeus was around the table. Jesus used the table to bring the presence of God, Jesus used the table to sit and commune and dine with Zacchaeus. The table was also a very important social status. You didn't dine from anyone from another country. You didn't dine with anyone of other social status to you. And Jesus just comes in and takes the guy that's sitting right out on the edge and brings him right into the centre of the presence of God. And friends, that is the transforming power of the gospel that is available to all of us right here and right now. I can remember in that season of coming to faith, feeling that change, that transformation happening in my heart. I'd notice things like being like wildly generous myself. i noticed things like uh, giving stuff away, like expensive, like good, valuable stuff and just not having an inkling of a care about any of that. But where I really noticed that my heart had been changed and I'd received a new heart, was a moment where one of the boys that I used to go and uh, enjoy the weekends with, go out and hit the party scene, do all that sort of stuff. He called me up and he said, hey Ori, I've heard. You're like one of those like uh, Christians and like I heard, like you go to like church and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, man, it's amazing. You should come and check it out. Oh, I don't know. I'll think about it. But hey, what I did think is, do you want to come out this weekend for just one last time? And we can, like, we can just really party it up. It can be like a farewell. It can be like a send-off. You can, like, you can just enjoy one last weekend of fun. Like, I don't know why he didn't think this was fun, but that's another story. And just in that moment, there wasn't even a hint of temptation. There wasn't even anything in me that desired any of that at all. And I was just shocked at to how much my heart had changed. It had been made new. And Tim Keller makes plain the gospel to us. And I think Mike quote this, quoted this last week, but that's okay. I'll quote it again. I think we could say it every week because sometimes when we're looking for a revelation, what we're really after is a reminder. And our reminder today is in the form of this It says, The gospel is this we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Jesus showed the transforming power of the gospel, to Zacchaeus, to me, to each and every one of you, to every one of you at home listening, online, joining us from wherever you're connecting with us from. Jesus showed us that the transforming power of the gospel takes place at the table. And so what we see in Jesus, we see someone who is on the move. He was on a mission If you go back to Luke chapter 4, he reads the scroll of Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, and to set liberty on those who are oppressed. Rolls that scroll up. And heads on his way. And every encounter, not every encounter, but many encounters along that way, Jesus was having those with people at the table. He'd sit with the religious leaders and tell them how wrong they were getting it. He'd sit with all of those who were outcasts, who were poor in spirit, who were lonely, the least and the lost. And he would tell them how much God loves them and how they have a place in God's kingdom. They have a place at God's table. He was on mission. And we're invited to join him in this mission. We can easily think of mission in the form of like a missions trip, going overseas or supporting a missions partner. And don't hear me say that, that that's wrong or bad. It's not. It's amazing. It's just that it's part of the picture. It's not the only facet. See, God is a missional God. Like we say God is love, we also say God is missional. God is ascending God and he sends his people into the world to tables to offer people hospitality and grace. And so I've got, a fan, I've got fantastic news for each and every one of you today who would follow Jesus, who would call Jesus their Lord. I have a cross-cultural, multi-generational, missional opportunity that you don't even have to wait until your Monday tomorrow to take, uh, to take advantage of, to, to step into. You can do it after the service. And it's simply this. Would you invite one person to sit at your table for one meal this week? And could that person be someone who doesn't yet know Jesus? One meal this week, and you can start right after the service. See, we have breakfast, lunch and dinner, so seven times three is 21. That's 21 meals in a week. If you add morning tea and afternoon tea, that's 35 meals a week. And you might be shocked that pastors can do maths. There you go. (laughs) I rehearsed it. (laughs) Could have easily made a mistake. The point being is that there's so many opportunities in our week, but they don't have to be onerous. They don't have to be extra. You don't have to sit there and go, I can't do this. I don't have time. I've got so many things going on. Friends, every day we go through these regular rhythms. They're such an ordinary, mundane part of life. But maybe, just maybe, you could make one of those missional. One of those, an opportunity in a space for someone to encounter Jesus. See, the table is a versatile instrument. Have a coffee table here. You could sit at the table and have coffee with someone. You'd have breakfast, lunch or dinner. You could meet someone at the break room table. I have the privilege of working with Pastor Anna and when we have our one-on-ones every couple of weeks, she reminds me how many hours she gets to spend at a cafe table with her friends, enjoying coffee and having long conversation. I can't remember the, I can't remember the time I've had a conversation longer than 30 seconds when my kids have been around. There's plenty of opportunity. It could be your small group table. It could be a table out in the courtyard after church. But let's not waste these regular moments where we can be missional for God and we can invite people to experience Jesus and to place their trust and their faith in him. Imagine how much transformation we could see. We talk about it in New Life all the time, that we're going to be a part of a movement of renewal in and through the Uniting Church by 2027. Renewal starts at the table. Invite someone to a meal that they might get to experience the grace and love of God. And so as we move into a time of response, and as I've prayed and I've prepared for this message, it would just be remiss of me not to offer this opportunity. If you heard my story, if what was going on in Zacchaeus's life or any facet of the passage of Scripture today has resonated with you, you're in that place where you're feeling on the outside. You're feeling empty. You're feeling void. I just wonder if there's someone or if there's some people here. You've been invited along today. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you're exploring what's going on, what this faith stuff's all about. I don't know exactly where you're at today, but I do know this: that Jesus offers you an invitation to come and sit at his table. And so, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just take a moment. offer that opportunity to you now. If there's anyone here, it's, just, it, it's blowing your mind that God actually loves you and God wants to commune with you, be at a table with you and invite you into his presence. I just wonder if you would pop your hand up and just let me know. People have got their heads bowed, people have got their eyes closed. that's you I just call for a response from you now just pop your hand up in the air and let let me know maybe that's you online there's a button there that you can hit to raise your hand and say yes I want to place my trust and my faith in Jesus I want to take the seat he has for me at his table Hit that button now. Let us know that you're making that decision. And friends, for the rest of us, for the rest of us, as I've been speaking, I'm sure the Holy Spirit has dropped a name into some of your, some of your minds. Don't delay. Get your phone out. Shoot them a text if you're able to contact them and invite them to your table this week. Jot their name down, purpose to make whatever you need to do happen, that they can take a seat at your table, that you can invite them to share a meal at your table, that they might get to meet Jesus. And so we're about to worship, to celebrate the goodness of God and what God has done in our lives and what we believe in God for and hoping God will do in the lives of those He puts in front of us. And before we do that, I'll take a moment to pray. Father God, we thank You so much that You sent Your Son Jesus to die in our place for our sins. and That He rose again and gave us Your Spirit to live and dwell amongst us and in us and to transform our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that as we reflect on the story of Zacchaeus that we have opportunities to dine with you, Jesus. And, Lord, would you help us to make those opportunities happen, that we might see salvation become a reality for someone, that we might see your renewal take place in our time. Lord, give us hearts that hunger for you, that hunger for your presence and that hunger to bring others who don't know you yet into that presence. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life podcast. If that stirred something within you, or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu/prayer forward or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.